Hello, and welcome back to part two of our Mr. Barney Brower interview. Mr. Barney Brower is the great nephew of Abe Stark, who our school was named after. Mr. Brower is here to give us a little history on his great uncle and to tell us some of his many interesting stories that he remembers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of this historical educational adventure here at PS346. So, you know, when when we talk in terms of the school being named after Abe Stark, yes. if you go to, to MLK, you figure that you assume that maybe they named the school after MLK because, well, there were certain things that MLK, you know, epitomized, and therefore that's the Abe Stark, what would be the words? What would be the description? What would be the significance of why the school should be named that? What, what did Abe Stark stand for? What people would say from that era was your uncle knew everybody in Brooklyn. He knew everybody in Brooklyn because he'd grown up in Brooklyn and he had a clothing store and he had a sign in Ebbets Field with his name on it. So people would hear Abe Stark, oh, you're the guy with the sign in Ebbets Field and they would come and he was very successful because he made very fancy suits for fancy businessmen. And he was an ordinary guy. As I say, he never finished high school. So he didn't have a sense that he was smarter than other people. He was just hardworking. And when he was young, he knew that his family had no money. And he had to learn to do something. What he learned to do was to sew clothing. Because in those now, when we buy clothing, it might be made in Hong Kong or, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere else in the world. But in those days, if you were going to get married and you had saved your money and you wanted to get, if you were a man, you wanted a nice suit, you would go to Abe Stark's clothing store and they would take out their tape measure and make you a suit. Right? A tailor. As he was a tailor. His whole life. That's what he did. And um, and so he was he was just an ordinary guy. Made and he knew successful what ordinary families go through because he had grown up really poor, right? And it didn't go to his head. He at one I, if you Google him, you can find some things about him, but it's surprising how little. I googled him last night. Yes. I found fifty words. Yes, yeah, it's not much. Not much, right? <laughs> because it all ended in that fire. And um, so after the fire, um, the tragedy was Abe Stark's daughter-in-law died in the fire. She was in the house when it burned to the ground. This is a terribly sad story in my family. And her husband, whose name was Stanley Stark, left New York. His kids, the twins, were off to college. Little Michael was five, and his wife had just died, and everything he had had burned to the ground. And he moved down to Florida to be a doctor. And he didn't live much longer. I don't know how long he lived, but he married again. And so, Little Michael was raised by the woman he called his stepmother. I don't even know her name. Okay. Now, this is this is how history actually works. Go forward 50 years, 50 years later. A friend of my mother's is in the hospital and a doctor comes in and his name tag says his name is Dr. Michael Stark. 
And she says, without thinking much about it, are you related to Abe Stark? And he said, Abe Stark? She says, yeah, my friend Charlotte, it's her uncle. And he says, you know where my family is? This is little Michael, who hadn't seen his family for 45 years. He'd grown up in Florida with his stepmother, who didn't know us very well, because we had never really met her till after this terrible tragedy. And he had come, he was a grown-up. He had come, he was a doctor. And he had come to the New York area to try to find his family. And as he told us later, he got a phone book and he looked up Stark and there were like pages and pages and pages of Starks in the New York phone book. And he started calling people and everybody said, oh, I'm Stark. No, we're not related, or, you know. And so at our Passover Seder, 50 years later, little Michael came and met us as a family. And his sisters, the twins, who were by then like 40 years old, came. They had had a rough life, okay? And all of that part of the family have passed away. So I wouldn't have told this story if they were still alive, because it's, it's such a sad story. Tears are running down my face telling this, but it's the truth. It's why people who ask about Abe Stark are surprised at how little is now been given, how long his put career was, how well known he was at the time, right? It all burned in a fire. And uh, if I do my research, I'll be able to tell you what street that house was on and so on. But now I'm an old man and um, I don't want it to entirely disappear into history. And so here I am at the Apes Dark School, telling this sad story of a man who everyone felt was, was just a wonderful. You were and, about five years old, you said five years old or six years old when I can't remember exactly more but, or less. Yeah, but every Passover, cousins would come from all over. And I just remember as a little kid that there was my uncle, my grandmother's brother, right, came in a, a, a black limousine that held like six people with a, a driver who had a gun. You remember that? Here so it's it's old. And people would say, well, he's the, he, the borough president. He was chairman. He was president of the city council for a number of years. And But he didn't like play with you, things of that sort of like play games with you, joining and stuff. He was just part of the, the family gathering. 50, 60, 70 people. Yeah. And we were kids, so we played with our cousins who we only saw once a year. Right. And the grown-ups would have all their conversations, and there's a right. lame, right? And, you know, at the end, his, his granddaughters, who were teenagers and gorgeous, and there were two of them, and, and went to private school, right? We were little kids. You know, they were the teenagers, and they, right. they would go off in the limousine. That's what I remember from my childhood. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I didn't want it to all disappear. And I'm going to be 75 this summer. And so, except for my sister, there's almost nobody left who remembers the story I just told you. Well, I think you coming here today and telling us all these fabulous stories is a great way to carry on his legacy, right? Because you're pretty much the last Stark to be able to give us this information. So. Yeah, 
There are many stars. You look in the phone book, but they're not all all our relatives. We don't even know them, but we couldn't find, you know, what had happened to the family in the phone book. And they moved to Florida. We didn't, only we were somewhere in Florida until he, he came back to find us. Well, we really appreciate you coming here today and giving us all this information because I've been here almost 20 years and I knew nothing about Abe Stark until today. So, And the other thing is, in my heart of hearts, I'm a third, fourth grade teacher and a school principal. That's what I've done my whole life. Um, and, uh, and in my school, um, I believe in kids learning how to write correct standard English and I taught schools that were full of kids whose families were from all over the world. And um, I was a principal in several different places, but my last job as a principal was in a public housing project in the city of Boston, in a neighborhood that was famous. If you live in Boston and you mention South Boston, they say, oh my God, you were a principal in South Boston. I say, yeah, my, my school was inside the old colony housing project. And people say there was a school inside the housing project? Uh, yeah, most people don't even know there was a school there. <laughs> Twelve classrooms, no gym, no cafeteria, no handicapped access, just a building that had been there. But there were so many kids right there that they kept it open. We once had a parent in a wheelchair who came for a parent conference, and there were like 20 steps to get up the front door into the school. So either she had to come in through the boys' bathroom, which had a door that opened at ground level, which was embarrassing, right? right? Or we had to carry this woman in her wheelchair into the school. Either way, that was the school I was principal of. So it was poor kids. And, um, but I was, um, I'll tell you what I did as a principal. we had what was called the monthly composition. Every month, every student in the school had to write a page of their writing about something they could choose, or sometimes we'd all, you know, write about a holiday or something, and hand it in to the principal. And all the words had to be spelled correctly, and all the periods and capital letters had to be in the right place. But you could write about whatever you want. You could write about your birthday party. You could write about your pet animals. You could write about anything you wanted. But by the time the end of the month came, and everybody knows how many more days are going to be a month, the monthly composition has to be handed in to the principal. And I would put it in a notebook in my office. September composition, you had a whole month, start of school, October, you know, November, we'd have Halloween stories and so on, right? And... If a kid got in trouble in the school, let's say some did something he shouldn't do, and his mother gets called in, and she'd be in my office, and there's the kid who did something, you know, pushed a kid on the playground or did something, right, that he shouldn't have done, right? And I said, let's look at uh, at Jimmy's monthly compositions. And I just opened a notebook, and I say, this is what he wrote in September, you see all the words that are erased and fixed? I made him fix every mistake in September. And here's his October composition. 
I didn't make them fix everything. So it's still got mistakes, even though you're supposed to fix everything before you hand it to the principal. And it's November uh, 12th or something, you know? He's going to have another one right after Thanksgiving. It has to, isn't it? Mrs. Johnson, let's make an appointment for you to come see his November composition. Right? And see whether he's working a little harder than he worked on his October composition. And I take out my appointment book and I'd say, let's make the appointment now. And the mother would turn to the, her son and say, you know, that's right before Christmas. It better be good. <laughs> and he would know what you meant. And I'd say, well, you could look at and any parent, even parents who themselves did not have a good education, could see a whole page that tells the story with the periods and the capital letters of the word spelled correctly. Right. So this is, uh, um, I love, and every kid in the school knew that the monthly, every month, I would sometimes just take out the notebook and flip through it. And, you know, I'd say to the secretary, could you get me Andrew Wilson in the fifth grade? And Andrew Wilson would come to my office and I'd say, Andrew, do you remember your uh, Thanksgiving, your November composition? And she'd have her head down. And I'd say, you know, your October composition was really good. But then I saw this one. It looked like he must have written this in about three minutes. Right? Well, I'd take it out and I'd show it to her and, I, and she, she'd be embarrassed, right? Because he could just look at it and see, right? And I'd say, um, it's the beginning of December. Do they do presents in your family at the end of December? She'd nod. I'd say, well, before Christmas vacation, you're going to have to hand in your December composition. So I'd like you to work a little harder, <laughs> actually a lot harder on your December composition than you worked on your November composition. She said, okay, Mr. Brower, okay, Mr. Brower, okay, well, I will. And they would. So I had a school full of kids who knew how to write. And the other thing I loved doing as a school principal was the kids knew that I had envelopes and stamps, right? So when they would ask me something like, Mr. Brown, how come they haven't fixed the basketball hoop? Right? And it had been broken, you know, for for months. Right? And I would say, that's a good question. You know, I've asked them to come and fix the basketball hoop. But if you kids wrote a letter to Mayor Menino and said the basketball hoop is broken and, and, and how come it hasn't been fixed and he were polite about it, I bet we could get it fixed. And so, like... 10 kids in the fifth grade would write a letter and the periods and capital letters had to be in the right place, right? Paragraphs, right? And we put it in a stamp and I put each one in a separate envelope. So the mayor of the city, Mr. Medina, who was a wonderful guy, would get, you know, 12 letters from kids at the Michael J. Perkins School saying one of our basketball hoops has been broken. You know, how can somebody from the right? And two days later, there'd be Workmen, you know, with ladders. That's great. The basketball hoop. So kids got a sense that their words made a difference. Yes. Right? And they knew that you could write to um, to anybody. I, you know, I couldn't promise. The mayor will probably respond to your letters. You know, you write to a famous, you know, rock musician. Who knows? But we often got letters back, right? And the secretary would say, Mr. Brower, I have a letter here for, you know, she named somebody famous who says, it's written to the third graders. 
right? And so I had a school full of kids who knew how to write. And I will tell you something. If you are in third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade or in junior high or high school, if you can write a page of English in which the words are spelled correctly and the periods and capital letters in the right, you feel smart. Absolutely. I've done this with hundreds of kids. I've done it in other schools. I brought with me some of the writing that my students did in different schools, right? If you can do that by the time you graduate from fifth grade, you will feel smart the rest of your life. And when people see that you can do that, they will see that you are, quote, smart. They will offer you jobs. It will help you get into cough, right? Mm-hmm. And all I did was say every month, I'm collected and put in the notebook. And uh, maybe we should invite your mother and your stepfather to see your composition next month. So maybe you want to work a little harder on it than you did this month. And I'm very proud. I, I brought with me all kinds of things. Uh, when I got to be an old guy, I was not very healthy. I had to retire from being a principal because I, um, I one, I have heart surgery and I'm glad to be alive because I have stents. They replaced a lot of the pieces of my heart physically in my body. And my dad died at 42 years old and I'm going to be 75. And it's all the miracles of surgeons who fix my body. So I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. And I love going to schools. And uh, I went to one school in Boston that's near the ocean. And the kids all wrote about sharks and whales and things in the ocean. Because there are lots of books about that. And they became experts on that. And so I, I brought some of these. And uh, and I'm kind of, my grandchildren live far away. My wife has a million of her friends who don't like hanging around with me so much. <laughs> and... Um, and I said, oh, maybe I'll go, you know, make the people down at Dave Stark School. Well, we're glad you came. We have some third graders who just wrote about sharks and whales, too. So maybe you can go show them some of the stories you have. Okay. Thank you so much for coming. Wait a second. Before I go. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so when I retired as a principal, I missed being in schools. And so I knew a lot of teachers and stuff. So I volunteered to go do ocean studies. And this was in a school called the Warren Prescott School. And it had very low test scores. So they had a special thing where they had to go an extra hour. And mm-hmm. the teachers got paid extra, but you know, they didn't want to do the same thing. So they started doing some things about the ocean. And these are, um, I think these were third or fourth graders. Um, and I'll just read you a couple sentences by a, a girl named uh, Isabel Hernandez and a girl named Cassidy Connolly. Part one, what are whale sharks? What looks like a whale, acts like a whale, but is not a whale. It's a whale shark. Whale sharks are actually not mammals. It is a fish. Whale sharks are, now this word, cartilaginous that's got like about 12 letters in it. Fish. <laughs> they have skeletons made of flexible gristle, like cartilage rather than bone. Whale sharks are 40 feet long and weigh up to 20 tons. The whale shark is the largest fish in the ocean. They live about 75 years. Whale sharks are slow swimmers. 
This is written by kids. In third grade? In, um, we, let me see. Um, these might have been fourth graders. The school only went up to fifth grade. So, wow, that's amazing. Yes. And, um, and they were proud of it. And we printed it, it up. Be. And here I am in New York reading it to kids in New York saying, this is, this is good writing. Right? Yes. And, um, and I just turned to another page and it shows a picture of a squid, which is like 15, a dead squid. We got this picture out of the encyclopedia. Wow. <laughs> but it's big. Okay. And, uh, I miss being around schools, and uh, if a uh, teacher or the principal here says, you want to come and do some writing with our kids? We would love I'd, for you I'd to, love do that. to do that. <laughs> and I'd feel like I'm, you know, like if I was, if I was a, a football player and I was an old guy, I'd say, give me the football and let me show you. Go down 40 yards, get ready. Right? That's what I'd say if I was, but I'm not. I'm an old school principal, so I miss doing this stuff. Absolutely. You're always welcome. Yes. Pardon? You're always welcome here. Oh, good. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. It was a pleasure to meet you and, and hear all your great stories. Okay. I will, I will also tell the students something. Okay. Leave us with some parting words. If you go into Abe Stark School in a city where almost nobody knows who Abe Stark was because it was a long time ago, and because all the historical records um, from his career disappeared in a, a fire, if you become an expert on who Abe Stark was, and I will tell you who you could write a letter to, I, I'd <laughs> love doing this. His, the professor's name is Wendell Pritchett, and I brought a copy of his book that he wrote about Brownsville, Brooklyn, he is the first African-American president of the University of Pennsylvania. He actually teaches in the law school, and they hired a new president for the university who had to leave. She couldn't leave her old job as a president somewhere else for a year. So he's been the acting president, the first African-American at the University of Pennsylvania. And if, if you wrote letters from the Abe Stark School, when he wrote his doctorate about Abe Stark, and discovered, yeah. right? And said, you know, when you're in New York, you ought to come visit our school. He is the what? expert. And he's about, he looks about the same age as your principal. <laughs> okay. We can get his address and put it in the podcast so that the kids will have access to it to send them letters. I think it's a great idea. Okay. But before they send those letters, all the grownups have to help make them fix. Absolutely. The here is the capital letter, the word spelled correctly. Yes. And then you'll have his address. And I bet if you got... 15 letters from kids at the Abe Stark School that said, we want to know more about Abe Stark. He'd come and he's the expert. He has a doctorate on Abe Stark. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Mr. 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 Barney, ready for the test? Don't forget to end your phone. Here's the textbook. It's by Pritchett Wendell. You don't know more about Abe Star than anybody in the city of Brooklyn. Really, that's, that's his doctorate. We hope you enjoyed listening to the stories of Mr. Barney Brower on today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Studio Scoop coming your way.